Hello and welcome to another episode of the St. George's Run and Staff, the official podcast of the Church of St. George the Martyr in Kales River. And today, the theme is, I have done my best in the race. I have run the full distance and I have kept the faith. And I think a lot of the, the liturgy on the 20th Sunday after Pentecost has to do with righteous judgment and what Jesus has to say about righteous judgment. I'm joined as always by the Archdeacon, Rodney Whiteman, the rector of the parish. What do you think about this concept of righteous judgment? Have you encountered it before amongst Christians who just want to judge people and feel that they are somehow justified in that? Oh, I think Christians love judging. <laughs> uh, I think it's the of being right, the feet of being wrong. Um, and and what is faith? Is faith about judgment? Or is faith about being on the journey with God? Each of us are in a different space with that journey, but we are here to encourage one another. Now, how are you meant to encourage one another when you judge the person? And how, why, why do you feel justified in your judgment? So, this is where the rub comes. Because I know certain scriptural texts, I use them as a tool to justify my position against what I'm observing or hearing where you are. Mm. And so this quest for, for rightness, the quest, the quest to, because the text itself, in, in people don't understand, it would seem, that when you read the text, your reading of the text is an interpretation of the text. But now, the interpretation of the text that you are giving has a biasing. Because you're coming from a particular perspective of how you understand the words, how you understand the concepts, that it brings up the themes that the text is speaking. And sometimes we use the text outside of the actual context of that, of where that text comes from, we don't uh, consult its background, its history, why it was said. We use it as if it was meant to just be read for today and that it didn't have any other readings of the past. And all because I've, I'm in a particular um, faith silo. And so when I look through uh, the submarine goggles of my silo to where the other silos are, my position is right. Your position is wrong. Now, I think when we are meant to encourage one another, we critique each other. Critique is helpful. It then it's gentle, but it's also challenging. We can, if we are, if we are wanting to grow in our faith, we need to listen to healthy, uh, objective critique. Uh, that's how we grow. Um, I think you know when I look back at my relationship with my brother. Um, part of our conversation was interrogating the texts from from where the uh, from whence the other comes. Yeah, and I would often be in disagreement with my brother. Um, at some point, you know, um, I said to him when he was so uh, the, the the prophet said that the people in India who worship cows, you know, they are hell bound. And I said to him, I'm not so sure, my dear brother, that. You and I believe in the same God after making that statement because I wonder why would this gentle, loving God want to judge people 
because they, you know, live in a particular way yeah. culturally and other. So, so yes, I, I, I think it's happening very right now in the American setup. And it is happening, you know, sometimes one, we have, for example, funeral service weddings, we often have people from other denominations. And um, I often see, you know, I mean, invite people to the altar to, to we read the same Bible, we sang hymns that are familiar, we prayed, but they won't pray, pray with us. Um, and you wonder what is it? If I were in their church and they were doing that kind of thing, could I discern that year was a, a Christ-centered thing? Uh, they were honoring my my limited understanding of God as three in one and one in three. Um, then I would be willing to participate in communion. I did this in the Roman Catholic Church. I did this in the Baptist Church or whatever other church, the Assemblies of God, whatever other church. I went to the Assemblies of God one day when I was working in the place. And the pastor and I became good friends because we served on the fraternal together. Yeah. And um, one day he did, he did a wedding with me. And he was fascinated by the order of the service that I had done in that service. Because they probably didn't have that kind of liturgical structures. So I went to worship with him one day on, my, on a long leave. And he was fascinated that I'd come to service there. Mm. And uh, when I looked at some of his congregants, I could actually see the disdain because I'm not one of them. I come from a different angle. Yeah. So yes, it's a whole lot of judgment happening in between denominations. I'm right, you're wrong, my interpretation is right. And it's so sad because it's an ignorance about what faith is. Yeah, it's ignorance of what it means to be part of the body of Christ. Uh, it's ignorance around scripture, but in our ignorance, there is arrogance too. Um, and I think all of us that all of us are guilty of that. Um, I, I think you know when I look at the gospels, um, four gospels, one thing that became very clear to me when I was studying them uh, a little bit more intensely of recent times that the two main role players are Jesus and the Pharisees. Yeah. And there's a fine line between them. And I remember the words of Jesus, which Jesus says that, um, you know, listen to what the Pharisees are teaching you, but do not follow it. So he observed from his perspective mm. that the teaching the prophet, um, was teachings that he would have imposed. Yeah. But he did not change them. What he did change them to become more judgmental, insular, and then uh, very, yeah, very just judgmental and rejection of people. I think Christians, we say we believe in Jesus, but our behavior and how was often But that's always the, the, the problem. And I mean, it's the problem that we've, we've kind of highlighted uh, in this podcast over months at this point now, where um, it's, it's the thing I, I, <laughs> I, I'm very absolute um, when, when, when I, in my own judgment of people, like if you say you are a thing, 
um, you need to be that thing. Because like I, like I have flirted with other kind of philosophies. I've flirted with being a, a stoic. I've flirted with, with Rastafarianism. And then in my exploration of like the foundational beliefs and like the important tenets, like the tenets of, of, of those belief systems, I found myself wanting um, in kind of achieving the ideal there. And therefore, I then take what I like out of it and have a healthier respect for the people who follow that. But I cannot identify as that because I like I don't have the discipline um, for stoicism. I don't I, I enjoy meat a little bit too much. Um, <laughs> so I don't have the same ethical um, considerations that Rastafarianism has. Um, so then, like, when people identify as Christians and they identify as, like, fierce Christians, fiercely identify as Christians, and they're usually the most judgmental people. Um, I, I have a, a friend who is like that, and we've been in major arguments about this idea of, of righteous judgment, where it's like, no, like, go to the Bible. Like, you claim to know your faith so well, go to the Bible. Show me one passage where Jesus was like, Salvation is only for the people who follow me. He may have said, you must come through. But there's always a route. Like, you can you can be evil, like, your whole life and have, like, two seconds before you die, um, according to Jesus, and you repent and all that stuff, and salvation is available for you. Um, so, like, when Christians just write off that possibility it's like dude you don't really understand what your faith is i'm sorry <laughs> well you see it's interesting if you look at um i think maybe in the more um classical christian uh, um understanding um, of the cross we we look at uh, something called the seven words of jesus and I'm just fascinated by those seven words. And I, I can't actually say what order they, were, they came in, but there seems to be an order. If the first words on the cross, after just being nailed, yeah. was Father forgive them, they know not what they do, focusing on the symbolism of the, the crucifixion itself, the putting him on the cross with nails, the pain that that endured, all that. And he says, Father forgive them, they know not what they do. So why did he not choose judgment? Yeah. Uh, before he came to that point, there was also that dialogue. Couldn't he then call down myriads of angels to help him if he was the son of God? Mm -hmm. uh, and he said, well, but that possibility exists, but that's not the choice I'm making because this is not what this is all about. This is not about power yeah. uh, and, and yeah. and donor kind of stuff. This was about the, the love and the forgiveness and the grace yeah. of God, which is there for everybody. And then in that uh, pattern of seven words, um, woman, behold your son, son, behold your mother. Yeah. And and so we, what do we learn from those? Words? Why was he asking John and Mary to take one another as family? Uh, he did say, Father, Father, why have you, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Yeah. That's part of the journey. Of, 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 um, of the cross. And then, of course, into your hands I commend my spirit. So, what are we meant to learn from? Could I put it like this the final words of Jesus? 
as was heard from the cross. Yeah. And was captured, you know. So do we see in the whole salvation plan of Jesus, therefore, judgment and condemnation and all of that? His very first words, if that was his first words, was, Father, forgive them. Yeah. They know not what they do. So if you were to learn anything about, about Jesus and, and, and following him, then those last words probably sums everything that he was teaching. Yeah. Throughout his journey on this earth, at least for the three years we know, you know, from the Sea of Galilee to, uh, Jer- to Jerusalem. So now, why is it that therefore we have become judgmental based on where in Scripture do we now feel the um, the right to judge others? Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that's a human thing, a human thing in the sense that, you know, I'm competing against the Yeah. So my ideas must be better than this. I don't even listen to Lenin's ideas. I don't value what they say, even if I don't agree with them. But I've got to show Lindsay up as the loser so that I can be the winner. Now, when I, when I notice this, for example, in the current American society, these uh, Christian nationalist movements and the politicians of the GOP, I see fear. Mm. I hear fear. They are fear mongering using what they believe is the Christian way. Uh, and it's not the Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. No, my my daughter actually has been having a, a uh, she's been having a challenging time at at school where um <laughs> they were talking about uh, evolution theory. Obviously, I mean it's a school. You are teaching science. You are teaching <laughs> like real life, not fairy tales. Um, and the one girl is quite staunchly like. The family's homophobic. She's expressed there's there's been issues before. Like there was a big issue with like homophobia and stuff. And she's part of like the more more toxic kind of, of, of Christianity vibes. And this girl challenged the teacher during the lecture because of her belief that God created Adam and Eva, creationism thing. And this has now caused some turmoil in, in my daughter's life because my daughter uh, appreciates the approval of others and she doesn't like to stray too far away from, from like the popular. I mean, she's 11. So uh, these <laughs> where she is in her life right now, she, she places a lot of emphasis on, on those, those friend circles and, you know, the approval of peers sort of thing, being part of the herd. Um, and now she's been asking, now, now she's stuck between the two things where obviously she has a father who pushes the idea of evidence-based science um, and plays quite fast and loose with, <laughs> with the Christian thing, but respects the whole vibe. Now she's going around and asking like everyone in the household. And then even last night, um, it was my father-in-law's birthday in, in the week. So we had visitors over um, and asking like, great aunts and uncles or grand aunts and uncles like their views on the matter and my response is always to her like you can't keep on challenging this other friend who holds these alternative beliefs because it's just going to be argumenting 
And this person is responding from a place of fear. And the only thing you can do is reassure that you are not trying to diminish um, that person's faith. Um, you are just wanting to discuss things and have an open mind and share ideas and experiences um, of the world so that you can build a better understanding of, of the, the situation that you are in. Uh, but the moment the other person starts pushing, because you're not going to change their mind. Like, this is the thing. Like, I know on this, thing, I'm not going to change your mind about Paul. <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, but it's it's a it's a it's a discussion and and like if I voice frustration, it's more it's not a personal attack on you or personal attack on any of the listeners' faith. It's just a frustration that I have with how this unreliable witness, as a Muslim gentleman, <laughs> informed me yesterday, and I was quite surprised that I am not alone in, in my criticisms. Um, where yeah, you you need to you need to. Be mindful of the fact that people are it's it's a trauma, it's a fear response um when when people push back so 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 fiercely. You see again, yeah, I suppose one of the things we end up doing with judgmental statements is is absolutism. Yeah. Um uh, what is what what for us in, in the material world guarantees absolutism? Yeah. Uh, when most of the things we are dealing with are theories and testing those theories with experience and research yeah. and, 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 and seeing their validity. And what you then do is once you've done that, you then discover something more that then leads you to the next step and you realize this is about journeying. Um, it's not as if you were right. Evolution, in my puny little view, is a form of creation. It's a theory of creation. Mm -hmm. So why should the two fight one another? Um, none of us know how it all materialized at the beginning. Yeah. People ventured in their observations uh, with the possibility, and they tell stories about it. Yeah. Hence, we have people researching from various animals, mm. archaeologists. This is the beauty of theology. It does not ignore. It should never ignore. But the other disciplines are discovering. Um, yeah. Because how can it speak of God's word into life if we're not taking seriously what is also in other disciplines of, 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 of discovery? Uh, so, therefore, how do I absolutely you see that this is the problem? When you do maths, that's what they call and you're doing it in your formative year, you've got the basic facts to be said. You're going to work out that one plus one. Is equal to two, mm. and and they show by using apple and apple to get to the water center. Same formula is 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 uh, you level. Let's say in a doctoral thesis, in the way of formulas, that's now going to construct stuff. So how do they then understand one plus one is equal to two in relation to 
the context that has to work itself in. Yeah. It's for the to know everything in the textbook they have is in the textbook of the guy who's done their master or thesis. And even then, research continues. Yeah. So it's not as if the book catches everything. The book does essential work, does the necessary work. Hmm. for deeper ex- understanding and exploration. Like, I know, for example, that the that story of salvation to Jesus Christ is, is open because in, the, in salvation history, it helps me to go back yeah. and learn about the past. It helps me to deal with what I'm dealing with in the current time. And it helps me to deal the future. But what am I doing? I am trying to, because this is the, in the catechism, it's captured so beautifully. The mission of the church is to, to restore all human beings back to God and each other through Jesus Christ. That yeah. work of restoration uh, is where I'm, I'm at. Now, if I come with absolutism, uh, ideas that, uh, unless you believe what I tell you, Lindsay, you're all going to hell, that doesn't win people over. The, the premise of salvation in Jesus Christ is God so loves the world. Yeah. That is what we must explore in our lives. What is this love that is spoken about? So people are caught up in, in scriptural ideas and they're putting it as, like for example, the first 11 chapters of Genesis is parabolic. It's not an historical account. It's a faith account. Uh, uh, faith capturing, captured in, in observations, and and I mean, it all came out of the liberation uh, movement of the Exodus. Yeah. So, so people come now with you must believe in what they call creationism. Yeah. God created in seven days. There's lots of symbolism there in which seven days is not seven days as you and I understand. Yeah. But now. Is my salvation dependent on theory of creation? Yeah. Hypothesis. Or the hypothesis of Yes. Because it's important. It's it's, it's actually an important distinction to make. So uh, language (laughs) in science works this way. You have an idea, which you then hypothesize. So you have an hypothesis, hypothesis, and then you test the hypothesis and you gather evidence for the hypothesis that supports the idea. It's then reviewed by peers and scrutinized. And if you can maintain a predictable outcome um, through scrutiny, then it elevates into a thesis or at least a theory. And then after a theory, if like there is no change if you are given the same input and getting the same output across years and years of scrutinizing, then that value becomes a constant. Um, and then it becomes like, then you can have it as a base for other things. So with creationism, or at least with, with evolution, we have discovered enough evidence to support the theory beyond that of hypothesis over time. Enough people in the scientific community have made enough discoveries that have been consistent with the hypothesis, and it has now become a theory. 
So now you get creation. And I love the fact that you drew out that it, it it's very parabolic uh, or parable-esque, um, where there is no evidence to support it. So it will always remain a hypothesis. And it, 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 I, I make this point because it, it's always bugged me that like staunch creationists will always turn to the fact that evolution is a theory. And it's like, just because you don't understand how language works, doesn't mean it's my problem. You know? <laughs> sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry yeah. for breaking you yeah. there. No, but, but what you said takes me back to the story I told you before we started recording. And let, let me dare to say um, the science of love. Yeah. When I stood at that inside of that family who felt that the, the science of care uh, and the theology of care was what do we do by our loved one whose life seems to be perishing before our eyes? Yeah. What do we do there where we are powerless? And I came up with the science of love, observing and affirming that they've, all, they've been doing it through their actions and presence and so forth but to encourage them to continue practicing even when they feel empowered. Yeah. And I, me, I believe that, that if, if one needs proof of that, proof is in being, proof is in the, the sense of your connection or that. Yeah. Uh, and your care type of last uh, moment of it. So this made me realize how important that experience I had where I was able to say, continue to love. Um, now, for me, the story of love is far more crucial for salvation, if I were to call it like that, mm. than whether we are correct in being creationist and staunchly so, or whether we are evolutionist and staunchly so. Yeah. Uh, both may be necessary for our understanding of the world, um, but why do we have to be on opposite ends? Why don't we find how they communicate with each other? Yeah. Rather than uh, saying, if if I want to go to heaven, I must be a creation. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And does that does that um, understanding is it necessary for salvation? If for me the starting, as somebody said, uh, what was his name? Carl Barth said. My starting point is Jesus Christ. Mm. Um, Paul said, I preach your favorite. I preach nothing but Jesus Christ crucified. That's yeah. his starting point. So he goes to the cross. So again, yeah, there is a starting point for all of us. And we seek to live it as we grow to understand it. We don't we can't understand it fully. Yeah. But we grow to understand it. So, um, so I I really like to know why why is it? Let me put it like this. It makes me think of a line of a colleague: "Save us from pride and give us the mind of Christ." What is it that that the mind of Christ would do for us if we consider? Um, what we understand about having the thoughts of Christ, having the 
perception, having the observation, having the ideas of Jesus that he enacted on. And is it in the, 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 the text where that is a major thing, which is not in Timothy, but in Philippians, mm. um, the too. So why would the author, authors of the colleague drawing from the reading say, today is very important for us uh, to think about the mind of Christ because there is pride at home. Yeah. Um, and I think when I listen to the story that Isla is raising at school, um, you know, some people speak so loudly about their point of view, but their arguments are weak. Yeah. I don't need, I don't need to convince you uh, as if I need you to be convinced. Yeah. We are travelers on the journey together. In conversation with each other, we're not yet to persuade one another to think our way. Mm. But if we want to develop the mind of Christ, how does that help me? For me, it's an important concept to consider. Because if I if I use my own mind only, and and and, and nobody uses their own mind, our minds are influenced. By the minds of others around us, we yeah. inject some, and we embrace some. So, so that is is a really important part of it. And the very next line says that in humility. So, so does the mind of Christ have about it humility and not pride? Mm. So, in the thinking of evolution, or in the thinking of creationists, or those who have this righteous judgment approach. What is really in their mind? Mm. And what influences thinking that they are behaving so absolutely as if this is necessary for all things to be fine? Or are they delusional? Is yeah. judgment not delusion? It is. It is. It's a delusion that you are, are free from your own judgment. Um, yeah, yeah it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's an absolute belief that, that you are, are superior to somebody else. You are... Yeah, and it's 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 crazy, and I mean it it it, it happens. I'm I'm very guilty of it, uh, but but uh, a lot of times I I think my opining or at least my strong opinions are misunderstood. Like yesterday, we were in a situation. We were sitting around the lunch table. It was a it was a workshop that we were at, so it's like relative strangers to each other. Um, and the one gentleman sits down, and he's like. Oh, I thought it, I'm so happy to have seen meat uh, because I thought like these sorts of things are usually catered more towards like veganism and like that sort of thing. And then there was now the inevitable discussion about veganism. And uh, fortunately, um, there were no like hardcore vegans um, on the end of the table that I was sitting. Um, and we were having like an open conversation. And then uh, they were talking about the Netflix documentary um, called game changers where they like follow like vegan athletes and stuff and like that are really performing at a high level um having sworn off like animal-based proteins and stuff and i i i just iterated the, the fact that um uh there is no nutritional benefit to to a vegan diet it is an ethical consideration and then everybody was like no but the, and i no, there is no <laughs> nutritional benefit <laughs> 
to a vegan diet, it is an ethical consideration. We are by nature omnivores. Um, we require multiple nutrients to sustain our lives. And I would even go as far to say as that a vegan only diet is a net bad for society because what about everyone who has nut allergies and like other food allergies that all are integral parts, like sources of protein with, within the, the vegan community? Um, like, why don't we ever we ever discuss that? Like, just purely almond milk um, is a hazard in my own friendship circle because we have a, a kid in there with, with, with a serious nut allergy and he could succumb to, to these things, you know? Like coconut milk, sure, fine. I, I use coconut milk. I use coconut oil. I use like there's various things that 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 I have adapted because of evidence-based like <laughs> health um, <laughs> qualities. Uh, but but yeah, it, it it was it was a very refreshing thingy. But I know I know that there were some people around that was like thinking that I was really a a type A character who has like this absolute view but it's like if there's the side if it is a constant if it is like a proven thing i'm going to reiterate it at every opportunity and then like let's move on <laughs> from that it's like you can't change that through argument like it has been argumented it has been discovered it is a fact and that's that's like the point of my of, of my pushbacks like i i then I, I, I like to see the arguments that follow. Yeah, uh, and I think again, yeah, I, I, I really like to know why, um, why in making your point of view, um, the, the ultimate intention is when we have healthy conversation about yeah. meaning and understanding and how to live better with each other and the world around us, and and better with our creator and our savior then then why do i why does it need to be ending up in world war whatever world war we're in right now because we've been down this road um why does it need to be um you know destructive yeah um you know i mean i think if if if, if you if, if this podcast is anything about it, it is a way in which we are trying to think as widely as we can based on the, a worship liturgy and the scriptures that were attached to it for that week. To say, well, in the biggest scheme of things, how does all of, what does all of this mean to the participants in worship? And how does, what does it mean in terms of their daily life? And how does it address the issues of our time that we are facing? Yeah. Um, and of this, together we will share. And it doesn't mean that you and I, or you're going to have the right point of view and I'm going to have the wrong environment. So we're not here. It, what, what, what's the word? It's exploration. And exploration. Yeah. exploration of faith in a time of crisis. Yeah. And so we, we're going to be on the journey together. And we must accept that there's diversity in thinking, in observation skills, and in um, what you are going to find helpful and what I'm going to find helpful. And if what we find helpful helps the other, you know, it's then become a journey of sharedness. 
Now, do I help you only when you tend to agree with what I say or when you also listen to the challenge in what I'm saying? Mm. So it's not just a nice, nice um, fluffy answers or responses. It's also the challenges we've got to take along the way. I mean, Jesus tell, tells us in the gospel that um, he makes a statement almost in the question form. I tell you, this man went home justified rather than the other. So in other words, yeah, he's making a statement, but is it a statement in such a way that he says, that's so absolute, or is he saying, what do you think about it? Yeah. In the narrative, what do you think about it? This is maybe what I've observed. This is what I've learned. Yeah. And I'm putting it to you in a sense now he's inviting debate, he's inviting conversation, he's inviting dialogue. Um, so that we can think together, go to the next level and see the value in each other's perception and mm. understandings of this thing. Because what I mean, um, and I don't know why I'm thinking of this book you now. But I was you you were angry the other day with Mr. Master. And I'm angry at him for something that happened in last week, I think, about it, where he had this richest man in the world, as it's reported, makes the statement to the leaders in Europe, back off and let Mr. Putin just take Crimea. Yeah. Now, now, does he now, can he speak because he's got money? Does he speak as a, as a, as a moralist? Mm. Is he is he disregarding Crimean understanding of whether they want to be friends with us or not? Yeah. Um, but why is he siding with Putin? Why just let Putin destroy him? This I, I got very angry with, with this because I thought, does money now make you be able to make statements that disregard people? who are powerless over against the person that has power and also thinks he has assumed power. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I thought to myself, again here, the, the vulnerable, the, 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 the disregarded voices are those who have to face this unreasonable force of Russia. And, you know, it's very interesting that in this whole debate uh, comes the, this understanding I believe it was true, you must predict, because you're more in touch with these things than I am. Putin saying, we need a friendly neighbor, that's why we're doing what we're doing to uh, uh, the Ukraine. Yeah. And uh, Zelensky saying, we will choose who will be our friend. Yeah. That was a very important part of saying. So what kind of world are we living in? A world that says, I've got a choice about who I will associate. Or, or I will force you to be my friend whether you like it or not because I want to use you as a buffer between the people I fear, NATO and all those people, and to keep myself safe. At the same time, isn't Zelensky's philosophy a better one? That may not lead to war if you want mm. to build friendship. Yet Mr. Musk says from his power base, Fine, let the man have his ways. <laughs> Why? And he's spoken this into the world. So, would mean, because I mean, we don't know what wealth, you know, exploration is he's having here, but we, that's a voice that should not be, should not go uncriticized. Yeah. 
also made so, so, so voice for warmongering and the power of the powerful. And for me, that's not how you build the world. Yeah, but you need to you need to understand like Elon. Elon's definitely coming the, to from to this uh, from the perspective of of a capitalist who yeah. uh, has skin in the game, um, where it's like he he's spending a lot of money um, allegedly on on uh, propping up all of the the. Communication. So they're using um, the Starlink satellite internet vibes um, that he has, him and a lot of like international governments have funded uh, to donate to to the Ukrainian effort, and the Ukrainian military are using this as primary communications situations. Um, and doing this puts him then at odds with <laughs> his capitalist. Um, responsibilities to the companies that he is the CEO of um, and their relations with with Russia. So we're at this point where the major platforms that govern our world, that run, that power the things that we do, are run by private technology companies who have their own agendas which are capitalist agendas. They have a responsibility to their shareholders to unlock value in the market and drive the stock price up and pay bigger dividends. So if you are actively going against a major superpower like Russia, that becomes a major problem um, for your, your growth potential, your future growth potential, your total addressable market, that all gets affected. Like, uh, so so Russia isn't really a major Tesla customer, um, but there are other kind of supply chains that can be interrupted, especially like the, the platinum mines and um, a lot of like raw materials that come out of like Siberia and like those kinds of, um, and uranium um as well and like there's there's a lot of things that that russia is a big contributor to in the global supply chain then there's the other uh, and this is now really hypothesis theory uh hypothesis theory for me where because russia is now disrupting the the gas supply um to to europe uh because of of this whole thing um there's major energy crises looming for for um, Europe, and this could put strain on their appetite for electric-powered vehicles because that electricity is now going to be funneled into heating technologies um, uh, so that they don't die and freeze to death in, in the cold winter, which could then negatively affect um, Tesla sales in, in the region. Uh, so there's like all these these things and Elon Musk is kind of as an industrialist, uh, new age industrialist at the center of this. And it's like we were always heading down this road. Um, we had shades of it when when the Trump administration had the full like anti-China agenda, which Biden has now continued, where they've completely kneecapped the, the Chinese semiconductor industry, um, actively pulling out. Um, the U.S. employees of, of these Chinese um, semiconductor firms, or at least chip manufacturing firms, um, where 
China has no access. There was a thingy that was passed uh, last week that didn't really make the news, uh, but but it's it's a really important thing um, where China can now not access any American IP around semiconductor design. And unfortunately, uh, microchips were developed in the US. So there's so much engineering knowledge um, held by US citizens that now can't be shared with China. And so now these people are like leaving the country in droves and like it's put China back at least conservative estimate is five years in terms of chip development because now they have to start from scratch with a lot of their design. Um, so yeah, this this is just new age geopolitics taking taking shape. So as you were speaking, the words then came to me, who goes home justified? Yeah, yeah. Out of all that you said, who goes home justified? Uh, and in the in the in the in the in the man's mind who is in control because he's got money and technology on his side and partners that agree with them, uh, leaving in their wake the poor and the vulnerable, the powerless and the weak. Just in this past week, I think it was Monday. I never knew there was such a an international day, but the, the international day is international world eradication, poverty eradication. Yes. Um, and who were they looking for funds from? From the church mm -hmm. to support this movement. Um, and I mean, it's huge to think that we, we can't even, you know, eradicate a child's hunger for one day stands at that robot mm. or something that what, for whatever they're going to use, but one assumes it's because they're hungry and because in the state of poverty. We can't even alleviate one person's poverty. Are we going to do that? On the international world platform, hmm. um, but you have one man whose manipulation with others of world power for personal gain, in many cases, as you say, the capitalist mindset hmm. uh, ends up with traps and growing population worldwide, globally, of impoverished, unemployed people. Mm. Um, um, so how then are we going to address this? What is it that in my understanding of scripture and worship and all of that in God? Um, because if you look again, coming back to the point you made earlier, is um, those who think themselves righteous, which mm which one could say is those who, that's why I, I don't like terming myself in, I'm a Christian, but I'm not going to claim that I'm an, I'm a, I'm a, I'm an evangelical, yeah. or I'm high church, or whatever that, or that means. I'm a Christian, I'm going to seeking to follow Jesus, 
who is the savior of the world and the interest therefore is not just in my own personal salvation mm. it's not even just in the, in the salvation of all humankind it's for me in the, in the salvation of all that God created because we've corrupted the, the creation we've, we've um, broken the ecosystems that exist yeah. and, and so all to our own benefit so now you have a capitalist, the person who is an acclaimed capitalist, who believes that capitalism will save the world. Well, mm-hmm. what, what, now here I'm not sure if I'm right with my English language. Is it a thesis or is it a, sorry, a hypothesis or is it an, uh, a theory where, where people have said capitalism uh, proves that they can deal with eradicating poverty? Yeah. Uh, or democracy uh, at that, you know, whatever that means. Um, just, just how much, just how much, um, um, I think we, when we spoke about it a, lot, a little while ago, the impact of the war in Ukraine impacts certain states in Africa because the wheat prices yes. were influenced and a negative influence on those people who need that product mm-hmm. in another part of the world. So while bullets are flying and bombs are crashing, uh, in, in, and the Ukraine has got that kind of impact, the impact of, of, of the weak thing influences hunger and starvation and death on, in another part. So the impact of, of that kind of rhetoric again now, if you've taken the righteous point of view with contempt to others, mm. who goes home justified? Yeah. Um, no. Am I satisfied that my conversation today saying let Russia take Crimea, it, do I hear dollar signs going off that whatever wealth I had before I said that has now tripled? I think I think you you're judging <laughs> the son of our African soil a little bit too harshly there. Like and 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 it's it's the argument where I, I like to play devil advocate for for Putin as well, where for Putin this war is justified as his only option to maintain Russia's trajectory of success. Because of where the natural resources and like the future frontier of economic prosperity um, from um, fossil fuels is situated, which is largely in the southeast of of Ukraine, um, yeah, the south and southeast of Ukraine, Crimea, Donetsk, um, all all those areas that he has so fiercely claimed. Um, are sitting on rich oil and gas fields. Um, that part of, of the Black Sea, uh, where Crimea is, is, is a massive pocket of, of, of future uh, dinosaur juice uh, for the world to think on. And, and if Ukraine side with Europe or with NATO or with the West and start unlocking that value and not passing any of that on to, to, to Russia, like that's an existential crisis for Russia as it stands right now. So he's totally justified in his actions to maintain the status quo and to maintain the the future success, secure the future success of the country in the way that he sees the situation right now. Elon Musk 
he's on the CEO of a couple of companies that are really pushing kind of humanity forward um, in a very aggressive way. But he is beholden to, because they are private um, companies, or at least they listed companies, he's beholden to shareholders. Um, and he needs to make decisions that impact hundreds of thousands of lives um, that will maintain the various companies' future success um, and give them the opportunity to grow their success uh, going forward. And then it's like, can we <laughs> have this? Like, we, we can sit here and, and, and theorize as much as we want, but are we then also guilty of, like, this righteous um, um, judgment? Because we believe that all of these things are evil, but it's like there are millions of people whose whose future lives are going to be affected by this, no matter which way it goes. And like, are we right to just obsess about the year and the now, or should we be also considering um, those kinds of future um, uh, ramifications? You know, like uh, of like, and 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 that's. I think where, where I differ from a lot of people, uh, I, I I call it a mental health issue. <laughs> um, some people will call it overthinking. Uh, I like to analyze all the possible situations or the possible realities, um, and then then kind of base my judgment on that. And then I, I I end up in this very like moderate with this very moderate perspective. So even in 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 my in my in my political opinions, I'm, I'm, I found that I've become very centrist, very moderate, uh, because that's where I believe the benefit unlock is for most people. Because like you can't get upset about things that you can't change, you know. Um, and then it's, it's it's a nice thought experiment to just try and see the other person's positive perspective. Yeah, I'm not so sure whether I'm judging. The person as maybe judging the philosophy, the person. Yeah. yeah. Your outgoing point was he's beholden to shareholders. Yeah. So there is this faceless group of people sitting in the boardroom whose demands is for profit because shareholders supposedly are for profit. Mm-hmm. Now, in the wake of all that beautiful um, uh, rhetoric that you gave us now. Yeah. I my 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 point of view is saying, do you have this futuristic plan? That's why you end up saying and doing what you do. Mm-hmm. But is the cost right now is the life of people. If that same philosophy is costing people's lives now, what's the future going to be like when such philosophy is entertained? through actions because the shareholders have to have their profit. Um, and and so, for example, powerful people are going to go for powerful people in mm. whatever other context they are. Now, of course, not not everybody can stand on this very small platform of power in the world. Yeah. So whenever yeah. they get up there, they start pushing one another down. But at the same time, am I being unrealistic when I say, or oh, when Desmond Tutu says, I'm the voice for the voiceless. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the the problem with 
and and I, I can I can only speak like this because I've I've been in the fortunate position to um, have to sell strategies to to people um, to to consult on on strategy and strategy unfortunately doesn't account for <laughs> for human impulses. <laughs> so so when you when you sell a business idea to somebody and a a growth strategy to somebody you become very invested in that and any wavering on your side when you have to go back to the board to whoever is backing you financially um and you now have to explain to them <laughs> that what you sold them <laughs> and what the reality is are two separate things they're going to lose faith in you and you're going to find yourself on the wrong side of of a termination <laughs> You know, and uh, I know it comes down to like self-preservation, but like, unfortunately, most people don't have the privilege of that kind of experience to then really empathize um, with 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 these people because yeah it's 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 just strategy baby <laughs> so you're gonna break eggs but you have to stay the course sometimes because your your actual existence depends on it so so then in the in the in the i hope i'm not going to throw you an unnecessary curveball then yeah by bringing in your favorite uh, witness oh goodness in saying to um, not all actually Jeremiah, but all who ask the Lord for help will be saying, is, 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 is these business plans part of a, a, a salvation plan of existence? And and so when we strategize around them, we don't only think of the kind of influence that that plan may have and in salvation language, jobs are created and um, there's a future for these jobs and so there's a future plan of existence, therefore mm. of salvation. So business plans are I understand what you're saying and I can actually bring you a more recent kind of thing uh, because the readings today are Joel chapter 22 verses 23 to 32 then it's Second uh, Timothy chapter 4 verses 6 to 8 and 16 to 18 and then the gospel is according to Luke chapter 18 um, verses 9 to 14. So in the Joel passage, um, so Joel is now speaking, the, the Lord has told him and he's now relaying this. And I will take you to uh, verse 28. Um, Afterward, I will pour out my spirit on everyone. Your sons and daughters will proclaim my message. Your old people will have dreams and your young people will see visions. At the time, I will pour out my spirit even on servants, both men and women, and I will give warnings of that day in the sky and on earth. There will be bloodshed, fire, clouds of smoke. The sun will be darkened, blah, blah, blah. So it's like 
the Lord is saying in the future he's going to pour out his spirit on everybody. Um, so salvation is available to everybody. Then in the gospel, Jesus is recounting, the, he's telling the parable of two men who are going to pray. One is a Pharisee, one is a tax collector. The Pharisee is like standing by himself and he was praying, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. While the tax collector is just like being all humble and stuff and he's saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then Jesus is like, one of these two dudes is justified. <laughs> Um, the other one isn't. And then our boy Paul, <laughs> writing to Timothy, <laughs> is all about self-preservation. And he starts off by saying, as for me, the hour has come for me to be sacrificed. The time is here for me to leave this life. I have done my best in the race. Uh, this is the, the theme that you have extracted. Um, I have run the full distance and I have kept the faith. And now there is waiting for me the victory prize of being put right with God, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only to me, but to all those who wait with love for him to appear. So now, Joel is saying that God told him, and he is now telling the world that salvation will be poured out to everybody. And Jesus is saying that you must be humble yourself, and, and like the, the Pharisees' strategy <laughs> was, was not the greatest one. And then Paul is like, yo, I believe that I have the winning strategy, and therefore I am I I deserve this prize because I have kept the faith. And it's like, dude, <laughs> like just chill. <laughs> and like again, he's just making this absolute, he has this absolutist view on the whole situation, like on faith. He has this 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 transactional relationship with the faith, where it's like, I've done all these things, therefore I must get this prize. And it's like, that for me shows like the various the ideas where um, the strategy a lot of times is to the benefit of growth. Because unfortunately, we live in a capitalist society where the, the, the graph must always go up. Um, and you you plan accordingly to make the graph go up or else no one is going to give you money um, to, to start your thing and to employ people and to like through your success, the network effects of that like can spawn various other like cottage industries. I was just speaking to a couple of researchers at, at the University of Stellenbosch. Um, interviewing them about the robotic surgery. So it's like 40 million rand just to get like this the robotic thing. And then it's like the, the instruments um, that you use within it is also like very expensive. It's like the expensive thing is never going to be um, for public consumption. But the government, the, the health department in the Western Cape are funding this project, this research project, um, because there's the understanding that while it's a very specialist thing right now, the research that's being done into like minimally invasive surgery is a net good for public health. And like these researchers can really upgrade like their skills a lot and we can push further what is possible. But the other network effect is um, within the university, for instance, um, now you're going to have to start, you, you can expose um, technicians and like people in mechatronics and all these other engineering departments and faculties that 
can now play with this really specialized advanced toy and develop their own skills so that they can maybe build better ones like going experience in like maintenance on, on these machines and advancing like the software behind it and like the imaging technologies and building new applications for it and finding new applications for it so it's like the success just mushrooms out you know and and like it it starts becoming this big thing and like millions of people get positively benefited um so yeah it's it, it's a bit it's a bit infantile to to have a a a view of the success for humanity the positive impact just to be like we don't need wars <laughs> you know I, when i when i look at that because your your point coming out of all that you were saying around um the benefits of this technology and yeah you know when you say the western government is putting anything in there then it's really the people the, yes. the, the people whose taxes are paying for this yes will they will they be able to receive the benefit uh people who go to Kalbema hospital tiger the hospital yeah will that technology be made available to them because a lot of these technologies end up with huge expenses yeah medically and a lot of the people at the hospital tiger the gospel Kalbema hospital and i'm only speaking about the context we are in yeah um Well, fortunately, no, um, the instrument is housed at, at Tigerberg Hospital. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, when, because the teaching hospital and one hopes yes. that, that kind of thing continues. Now, when I look, therefore, at the outcome of this, um, when the idea comes, it is the intention is always to get to, to where the person on the ground yeah. can be left from it when, if, if they need so. Um, When you use Paul's words, and you know the words that impress me about his reflection on his life. Mm. Um, and I think is it important for us to have a reflection on our lives? Um, because I mean, we must be eternally in touch with where we are. And yeah. Where we think we're going. Um, not just with the work we do, like the technology, the person who develops that technology is a person with a heart, with a mm. mind. Not just a mind that can think of technical things, but a, a mind and, and a heart that has emotions, that has feelings, that has sensitivities, that has been morally challenged to, to explore and to grow based on all that I am and all that I'm doing is to improve the life of the world as well as the life of the earth that we're living on. We can't just improve human life if we're destroying the earth at the same time. Yeah. No, no place to stay. So, so you look into your heart as the technologist. You look into your heart as the politician who makes the decision. We offer people to say, we will donate this for the benefit of the people in the world. And of course, it, it may bring um, many people coming to live in Cape Town because then it will be the jewel of Africa because yeah. all of these things available to local people. So when I think about Paul's words, I I I know that 
it sounds very arrogant, but you know the words where I've done my best in the race. I don't know, you know, is that a good space to be when you're at the end of your life feeling that you're ready to die? That when you look back, do you look back to feeling dead? That could have done A, B, C, and D, probably. Do you look back and say, given the circumstances, I've done mm. the best that I could in this phase of life mm-hmm. with what I had. At the end of the day, I'm now being my own judge, uh, as well as saying, here I stand, I can do no other, because I yeah. can't go back. Um, I've run the full distance. So he seems to be having this sense that he's trying to stay faithful to yeah. what he was called to do. Of course, um, um, is that a negative thing to have? I kept the faith. Now, I, I said, I say to myself and I say to people when I preach this at funerals, are we ever going to die spotless? Are we ever going to die in a space where, you know, we have, we have the accolades status? Because that's what tributes them. Oh, Lindsay was such a good guy and Lindsay was such a this and Lindsay was such a, of course, the after party, they're going to say something other than all of that because they will then recite where they stood when he was a bit here and a bit there. So what was Paul offering Timothy by saying this as an older person, as a person mm. who was reaching the end of life? What would your message be to the generation following you, the generation you are mentor mm. at the end of your life? We then say Paul's words were arrogant, or are we saying this is the reflection of my life? And that's the story I'm offering. I've done my best, done the full distance that I could, and I have tried. He didn't say try. He said I have kept the faith. Um, would that would that be something to say? You know, I must think deeply about that. I don't see the end of my life yet. Is there something in there I must take away? I, I I feel you on that. And and if if he just stopped there, it would be amazing. <laughs> But unfortunately, the very next line <laughs> reveals the true purpose, reveals his heart, <laughs> where he's like, and now I must get my victory prize. And it's like, dude, if you were doing it with the victory prize in mind, if that was your motivation to save your soul, to be forever, because remember, this is a guy who was writing fan fiction. And that the church has now adopted as like the base, the thesis of its of its whole like its whole foundational thesis um, was was based in fan fiction. And this dude is is now revealing himself as being the self-serving um, person. And that is the issue that I have. I I have no like the 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 do I teach this to my children, or at least I try and imprint on them that. Exams, like you must have no regrets. If you did your best, you tried to make the best decision for yourself, for your continued existence, for the happiness of your family, for the the quality of your environment. If you, if that was your motivation, to just improve your situation at all times, that is enough. 
Like if you wrote an exam and you know that you studied your hardest, you tried your absolute best, you left nothing. Like my wife uh, ran her first 10K last week. And I forgot to tell her um, because I didn't run because of various situations. Um, I forgot to tell her that when she runs through the park towards the finish line, she must leave. She must absolutely empty the tank. And she... Well, she greatly exceeded my expectations. I had her down for like a 127. She finished in a 123, which was incredible um, for someone who hasn't stitched together a fully like running 5K before, who reached six kilometers in training the most. Um, I, I'm very, very, very happy with, with, with what she achieved. Um, and, and I mean, it's a testament to her own internal strength, but it's like, you you just do your best and that is good enough. And you will have no regrets because you can't have any regrets because you couldn't have done anything more, you know? And it's it's that idea of living maximally, maximizing every single opportunity that you have to improve your own happiness, to improve your own comfort. Uh, that I will leave you on <laughs> in this conversation, in this continuous exploration of faith during this time of crisis. Um, and 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 I thank you. As always, all the passages, uh, the choice passages are, are in the podcast description. And I await your feedback, <laughs> Archdeacon. <laughs> yeah. so, so the prize you walk away with is not what the organizers will give if you finish in what that, that limited the prize you walk away with is your own time yeah that's the, the benefit of of that race so at the end of any race there's always a sense of uh you know what's the what's the symbol of success mm. which is the time now I, as you were talking i was reading that line again and again i listened to the and I'm saying, well, it's interesting. I'm not so sure Lindsay got it correct. I don't know whether I'm getting it correct. Or whether we, I'm anywhere near eating the sport box. I'm waiting for the victory. What is the victory? Being put right to the top. Do I have anything to do with that? Uh, and, and all that I'm asked to do is to trust and believe. So am I looking for my big secret or am i looking for that which god at the end as the righteous judge so then determine based on all that i understood as a person faith and try to live so i'm grappling with that one so given the input that i made in paul's view is there is a horizon who gives it? Who determines? And so the, the tension I said was coming out of what you just said, which I think is a healthy tension that I could uh, reveal in trying to say. So how would I then explain this or, or or speak about this, encouraging people to live life of faith? Do we look to the winning part and say, the one who organized the race of life, create the creation and salvation? And seeking to sustain us in the truth is the one who will then give us what we what he wants to give us at the end of the race. So I'm running to compete 
other and satisfy the way I come to you. Do I leave this up to the one who will judge I'm not so sure whether that's a rebuttal, whether that's just my own question to myself and why I'm the one. 